Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27, would you please? 1 Samuel chapter 27. I hope you're hungry for God's word tonight. Uh, the Lord's day is not over. Uh, the preaching certainly isn't over. I believe God has a message for us tonight. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 27, the entire chapter. It's just 12 verses. And then we're going to sneak into chapter 28 and study the first two verses of chapter 28. Now, I'd encourage you to go read uh, chapter 28 before we get to it next week. And uh, call me after you've read it and let me know what it means, if you would, please. Still trying to figure that one out. So um, it, it's, it's a, it's, it talks about wizards and uh, Saul calls Samuel back from the dead and, and all of that. So if, if any of you Bible wizards out there want to tell me what this is all about, you call me, take me out to lunch, it'll be fine. And, and then you could tell me uh, how I should preach that next week. Title of the message tonight is simple. It's this, when you run, when you run. I wonder if there's anybody in here that, if you're honest, you've gotten to a point where you just felt like running away from everything. Just, just escaping, almost burying your head in the sand and saying, I'm done with this. I think there are times in all of our lives when we sincerely believe that the best solution to a very difficult problem or the best solution to a very difficult person is just simply to run. Even though deep down inside, we know it's not the best thing to do. Now, I know and I want to state up front that there are exceptions to this idea of getting out of certain situations or relationships or jobs. Sometimes God will lead you away from certain people or certain places because I believe he has something different or something better. At other times, the situation that you might find yourself in is so unhealthy that it would be foolish to stay. So I want to make that clear up front. But what I'm referring to tonight is the difficult situations that God isn't leading you out of. But you choose to run from anyway. We all know of the common ways people run from their problems. Teenagers who run away from home as they're trying to escape a difficult relationship with their parents. Common. Husbands abandon their families for love of pleasure. Common. Someone who's in trouble with the law leaves town in the middle of the night. Common. We understand those kind of ways of running, but aren't there other ways to run from our problems? Like when a wife builds an emotional wall to keep her husband out, isn't she running? When a young man refuses to grow up and spends more time holding a video game controller in his hand than holding a job, isn't he running? But when a man chooses to drink or look at porn or become a workaholic instead of working through the issues at home, isn't he running from spiritual leadership? When a girl throws herself at the first boy that shows her attention instead of dealing with a distant father that's broken her heart, isn't she running? When a church member slowly disconnects and Start slowly fading in their attendance and their involvement instead of addressing their heart. Aren't they running? Whenever we fail to deal with what must be dealt with, whenever we fail to take responsibility for our actions, whenever we shut down or 
turn back or drop off or tune out or give in or give up? Aren't we running? I'm here to tell you there's great danger, great spiritual danger in running from our problems. That's what we're going to learn from David tonight. If you've been studying with me through 1 Samuel, you know David's been running for his life from angry King Saul ever since he killed Goliath and the women in the town wrote a song about it. But what we're going to see in chapter 27 is that David is toying with the idea of running in a different way. I want to break up the text in four parts. Each part will, will be metaphorically tied to a race, a foot race. Each of these four parts will have a corresponding principle that will teach us the dangers of running from our problems. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. So we're going to start right here on the starting block. If you could imagine a, a foot race on a track and they, they get in those starting blocks. Here's the principle. Those who think about running are probably doubting the promises of God. Study with me. It's probably been several years now. That David has been on the run, as we see here, he's feeling the, the full weight of this difficult season. In fact, one commentator by the name of Del Ralph Davis, I think, puts it best. He says this, hunted, tracked, and attacked by Saul, treacherously exposed, making thrilling escapes and executing daring escapades. Nine chapters full of high blood pressure narrative. It's the stuff that makes great movies, but takes its toll on real people. E even though Saul has assured David two times so far that he won't hurt him anymore. David knows he's still a marked man. He knows that Saul won't keep his word. And so David feels like it's come to a point where he has to take drastic action right now. So you know what he does in verse 1? We read it. He begins to have some soul talk. He begins to have a conversation with himself in his heart. You ever talk to yourself? I, I mean, not like just when you're ironing clothes and you're just being weird. I, I'm talking about, about when you're overwhelmed. You're discouraged. You're at your rope's end and you just start contemplating in your heart. Nobody can hear you, but, but it's you and your heart and your soul and you're contemplating what you're going to do next. Maybe you're driving home from work and you're having some soul talk. Or you're laying in bed at night, you can't sleep and you start having some soul talk. Are you on your way back from church or to church and you're having some soul talk? See, this is where David's at. He's so tired. He's so worn out with this difficult situation and with this difficult person in his life that he's starting to toy with the idea of running. And as he's thinking about these things, he says this, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now, it's ironic that he just basically guarantees that he's going to die at the hand of Saul because a chapter ago, he wasn't believing that. Look back at chapter 26, verse 10 in your Bible. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him. Talking about smiting Saul. Or his day shall come to die. Or he shall descend into battle. And watch these next two words. And perish. David uses the same word perish in chapter 26, verse 10, 
to describe what God will do to Saul that he just used in chapter 27 and verse 1 to describe what he believes Saul's going to do to him. Look down at verse 24 of chapter 26. David's talking to Saul. He says, and behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. David was once trusting in the promises of God to protect him and provide for him. But now he's doubting those promises in a matter of a verse. It changes. What makes this worse is that God has went to great distances to remind David of his promises. Back in chapter 23, he sent Jonathan. And Jonathan said, fear not. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee, and thou shalt be a king over Israel. He sent Abigail in chapter 25. For the Lord, Abigail said, will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. But even though David has been encouraged by friends, even though David has seen God protect him time and time again, his faith is starting to wither, and he says, I shall perish. He doesn't say, I might. He doesn't say, I feel like I'm going to. He says, I shall perish. Doubting God's promises is the starting block from which we contemplate running from our problems. When we say, I just want to run from it all. Aren't we saying something about our faith and what God has done or is doing in our life? When God says, stay and work it out. When God says, admit you're wrong. When God says stop blaming everyone else, when God says do that hard thing, when God says deal with your anger or deal with your bitterness, when God says trust me or when he says hang on or when he says don't be afraid and in response we contemplate running from him, aren't we doubting his ability to take care of us? Aren't we doubting his ability to give us what we need to do? What we need to do the very thing we need to do? Hey, it's not wrong, church, to have some soul talk. It's not wrong to contemplate what's going on in your life. It's not wrong to, on the way home from work, weigh out your options in your mind. But as you're thinking about the reality of your problems, listen, you need to make sure that you include the promises of your God. If all you do is dwell on your problems and disconnect them from the promises of God, you are putting your feet in the starting blocks of running from God. What's interesting about chapter 27 in verse 1 is God's name isn't mentioned once. It's a godless talk. He talks about his problems. He talks about how, how bleak his future is. He talks about his helplessness, but he never brings up God. And that's when you know you are toying with the idea of running. When your conversation with yourself only includes your problems and it doesn't include God's promises. So what, what's, got, what's David going to do? Right now he's only toying with the idea of running. He's only in the starting block. He doesn't have to run, but he does. Look at verse 2. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelt, verse 3, with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. Here's the second heading, the first steps. The principle, those who start running will run deeper into the world's influence. There are two tragedies to David running. You know what they are? 
he takes 600 men with him. That's the first tragedy. He takes 600 men with him. From chapter 30, we're going to study that he has wives and children with him for all those men. So he probably took somewhere between 1,500 people and 2,000 people with him. Second tragedy is where he went. He went to Gath. This is one of the towns in 1 Samuel chapter 5 that housed the stolen Ark of the Covenant as a trophy of the Philistine victory over Israel. This was the town in which Goliath was born, the warrior whom David killed because he reproached Israel. He defied the armies of the living God. David has run to the home of God's enemies. He's run to the land of idols and pagan worship. Listen, when we run from our problems and we run from the promises of God in our life, sometimes we take people with us and most of the time we end up surrounded by the wrong influences. Each step we take away from what God wants us to do is a step deeper into the influence of what others want us to do. Solomon told his son, cease my son to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. He told his son in Proverbs 13, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. He's pleading with Rehoboam to not even take the first step into the world because the farther he runs from God's promises, the deeper he's influenced by the world's lies. And at first, hear me, when you run from your problems, it's going to feel like you made the right decision. You know why? Because it instantly feels easier. It's going to seem like what you did is working pragmatically. You made the right choice. Look at verse four. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath and he sought no more again for him. Good news. David's plan's working. He must have felt safe for the first time in months. He must have felt relief for all those women and and infants and children under his care. He must have had his first good night's rest in a long time. Saul is, is now off his back. But little did he know that he just placed himself on a tightrope. Little did he know that he was setting himself up for bigger problems. Verse 5. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thy eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country. That I may dwell there, for why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines, God's enemies, was a full year and four months. Goes to the king, says, let, let me hang out in Ziklag. I'll take all my people. I'll set up a refugee camp of sorts. And he stayed there for 16 months. And what did he do? Did he pray? Did he worship? Did he seek God? Did he build his own portable tabernacle? Nope. Look at verse 8. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites. For those nations were of old, the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. Watch up here. It, for, for 16 months, David plunders and he attacks these groups of people living in the southern deserts. Now watch here. 
Some might argue that David did what he had to do. Some might argue he had to provide for for his family and, and for the families of his men. Others might even argue that David was justified in attacking these groups because they were, quote, the inhabitants of the land, the, the very people that Israel was supposed to expel from the land way back in the days of Joshua. Some may ask, weren't the Amalekites part of the people that David just killed? Weren't they the people Saul was supposed to totally annihilate back in chapter uh, 15? So some would think maybe David is simply trying to do the right thing here. But no, he wasn't. How do you know? Because of verses 9 and 12. They explain his motives. And David smote the land, verse 9, and left neither man nor woman alive. Took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, whither have ye made a road today? David said against the south of Judah and against the south of the, uh, whatever those guys are called, and against the south of the Kenites. David saved neither man nor woman alive. Did you see that? He saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, lest they should tell on us, saying, so did David. So will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, he hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. Verse 11 is clear. David isn't just trying to provide for his people. I want you to get this. David goes beyond provision. He goes beyond what's necessary. He not only goes to the Philistines, the Amalekites and, and, and the Gezrites and the Jeserites and steals their sheep and donkeys and their supplies. But you know what he does? He kills every man. He kills every woman. He kills every child. Why? Is he carrying out God's judgment as Saul was supposed to do in 1 Samuel 15? I would say no. David hasn't been given that order from God. Verse 11 is clear. David didn't leave anyone alive because he wanted Achish to believe that he was actually attacking the Israelites and all the tribes that were friendly with the Israelites. And if he let people live, they might expose his deception. It might leak. So David's ruthlessness is working hand in hand with his truthlessness. And they said, so will be his manner all the while he dwells in the country of the Philistines. 16 months worth of lying. 16 months worth of deceiving. 16 months worth killing babies. And that gives us the third stage of David's running. It's the full sprint. Those who run from their current problems will run quickly into bigger problems. Oh, David had some big problems with King Saul chasing him. But he created even bigger problems for himself here because not only does he have to still think about Saul hunting him down, he also has to think about getting caught up in his lies by King Achish. Did I kill everybody? Did my men clean up all my mess? How many know that living a devil life is tiring and stressful? Constantly having to cover your tracks, quietly hoping no one finds out, cover up after cover up, lie after lie. He may not be losing a lot of sleep because of King Saul right now, but I guarantee you he's losing sleep because of all the lies he's having to tell as a result of running. 
He's probably losing sleep over the women that he killed and the infants he ordered his men to kill just so that he could ensure they wouldn't be alive to tell on him. You tell me, what's the bigger problem? Running from Saul, but having God as your protection? Or running from your problems and having to murder and lie and deceive to protect yourself? See, David's heart deceived him into thinking that running from his problems was the best route. And at first it seemed like it was easy. But it led him deeper into the world's influence. Which led him deeper into the world's behavior. And in his heart, that deceitfulness of sin was so deep that he could murder these people and lie about it. Reminds me of a verse in Hebrews chapter 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, running from the living God. But exhort one another daily why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is where David was. He was hardened in his heart through the deceitfulness of sin that told him that running from his problems would fix everything. He justified and he rationalized and he excused it away. Charles Spurgeon, the old preacher, said this. Sin will also plead with you. That your circumstances are such that they furnish you with an excellent justification. You cannot do otherwise than make an exception to the general rule under the singular conditions in which you are now placed. It tempts you to put forth your hand unto iniquity, arguing that is the quick way and the only way out of your present difficulties. Oh, for grace to watch and pray, lest we also become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see the point? You're going to think that running from your problems is the best thing you can do. You're going to think it's the only thing you could do. And you're going to think at first that you made the right choice. But if you're running from God's will or you're running from God's promises, you will eventually find yourself in a whole new set of difficulties. I've seen spouses run from their marriage only to find bigger problems outside of it. I've seen employees run from their job only to find bigger problems in a new one. I've seen church members run from their church only to have bigger problems outside of it. I've seen teenagers run from their parents' authority only to encounter bigger problems outside of it. I've seen people run from reconciliation and forgiveness with others only to find bigger problems on the other side of bitterness. When you run from one problem, you are running into bigger problems. Why? Because your heart follows you everywhere. It's the deceitfulness of sin working in your life that will continue to give you problems no matter what environment, no matter what situation, no matter what home, no matter what church, no matter what relationship, no matter what town, no matter what city, and no matter what situation you find yourself in, your heart follows you. When you run, the path away from your problems may seem like a straight firm path, but very quickly it becomes an extremely slippery slope. Before long, you'll be running a full-on sprint into a mountain of bigger problems. The first stage of running was the starting block. David thought, Jesus thought about running from God. Why? Because he was doubting the promises of God. 
The second stage of running was his first steps out of the starting block. David ran from God's promises into the world's influences. With every step, he got deeper in to Philistine territory. The third stage of running was the full sprint. David sprinted into a whole new set of problems. But the race isn't over yet. Sneak down into chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. And it came to pass in those days, the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. So, so the king of, of Gath is telling David, fight with him. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Here's the last stage of running from your problems, the finish line. Those who, do, who won't stop running will eventually end up at the crossroads of compromise. Study with me. David's running has brought him pretty far. His doubt in God's promises. His choice to live among the enemy. His tactics of death and deception. All of this has placed him in a position he probably never thought possible. Remember, Achish already believes that David's turned on his own people. The verse says he believed David. So he would be a fool not to use David and his men in the battle to come. David has 600 mighty men. Yet if David refuses Achish, his deception will be uncovered. He'll put himself and his men and their wives and their kids in jeopardy. Get this church. In running from Israel, he's now being forced to face Israel. The anointed king of God's people has put himself on the verge of becoming the enemy of God's people. When David first started running, I guarantee you, he never planned on being in this position. And I get, there's no evidence from the passage that David seriously contemplated fighting with the Philistines. But nevertheless, he put himself in a really tough spot. Because when you run and you don't stop, you will eventually end up in a tight spot. You'll eventually end up at the crossroads of a potential compromise. You'll, you'll end up feeling trapped. You'll, you'll find yourself in a place you never imagined. Even in a place where you feel like the only thing left to do is the wrong thing. It reminds me of a verse that David's son wrote in Proverbs. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Don't get into the habit of running from your problems. It'll seem so right at first. And it will feel, forgive my English, even righter. But a lot of times, the end is as painful as death. Come on, seasoned Christians in here. Adults that have been down the road of life a lot longer than me. Can't you agree with that? Amen. Haven't you seen that over and over? You tried to talk sense into one of your children. Don't go. Don't do that. And it seems so right to them. And it's almost like you could see farther down the road than they could. Why? You've been there. But they didn't listen. And you have to step back. And you just have to let them feel the pain 
of running. So what do you do? If you're in a situation tonight that is so difficult that it seems like the only option is to just run and escape, but you know God isn't leading you to do that. Well, we know our first reaction shouldn't be to run. I would say this, though. Your first reaction should be to endure. Do you hear me? To endure. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of a race. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us and let us run with patience. That word means endurance. The race that is set before us. How? It's so hard. We look unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, ran his race with patience, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't run from the cross. He endured the cross. And because he did, we can too. When you're tired and and you're anxious and, and you're overwhelmed with your problems. Christian, don't immediately run from them. Run to Jesus who is never overwhelmed with your problems. That's got to be your first, your default response. Cast all your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why do Christians just get in the starting block so quick? Wait for the gun to... Fire so they can take their first. Why do Christians do that? When we have Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I was watching the other day. I don't know. I can't remember the channel, but it showed that that there was this distance race, maybe a marathon, half marathon, a trail run, something where where a man that was blind was running. And he had a guide. And that guide, they, they were strapped to each other's wrist. And it was pretty inspirational because that, that guy, he, he kept feeling like giving up. But that guy just kept barking at him. Run, run, run. He couldn't see the finish line. But he had someone beside him that was going to help him finish the race. And that's the picture of our race tonight. You'll get tired. You'll get anxious. There are times when you'll feel so blind because you can't put one step in front of the other. And if you do, you don't know what you're walking into. You will be overwhelmed at times, but strapped to you. Living in your soul is a guide whose name is Jesus. And he wants to race with you across the finish line of life, but you've got to let him. Got to submit yourself to him. So where are you tonight? In the starting block, just contemplating. Maybe you've taken your first steps. You know with every step you're getting deeper into the world's influence. Maybe you're in a full-on sprint. Running into a mountain of bigger problems. Maybe if you're honest, you're nearing that finish line where you're about to feel trapped. At the crossroads of compromise. Listen, wherever you are in this race, away from your problems tonight, hear me please, stop and take a U-turn. If God didn't tell you to go, turn around. 
Face what God's telling you to face tonight. Deal with what God is telling you to deal with tonight. Quit running from your problems and start running the the, the race that, that God has set before you. Even if it's hard. Because you have Jesus who endured his race. So that you can finish yours as well. Don't run away. Run your race. Amen. Stand to your feet every head bowed and every